Good morning. How's everybody? You doing good? I tell you what, I don't know a lot of you, some of you don't know me, some of you don't know each other, so in like 10 seconds, I want everybody to just say their name. Everybody just say your name right now, okay? Everybody, one, two, three. Okay, now we know each other. Isn't that awesome? Don't y'all feel closer? Amen, amen. Um, it, we're doing things a little bit different today. We got some audio visuals for you today, but they're not, well, we got some visuals, not audio. Well, I'm audio. Anyway, we've got beside you a handout with the sermon notes on it today, and that's going to help you. Now, we put these in every other seat. So if you didn't get one, just kind of look around, and you should see one there close by. Some of you, uh, if you see somebody kind of looking for one, just reach over and get the one in the seat beside you and hand it to them. If you totally just don't have one and nobody's helping you, uh, have we got some guys ready? We got some guys ready to, to get you one. If you need one, just raise your hand and leave it up and we'll get you one. But I think everybody's good. Everybody good? Everybody good? Now, here's how this is going to help you. It's going to help you know when I'm coming in for a landing. That alone right there is going to just be a blessing to you, isn't it? Uh, you say, or it could be discouraging because it could be like 1030 and you're still at the top of the page. And I understand that. Um, so we are in our sermon series today entitled Own It. We are in sermon number two in this series. And uh, I want you to get those notes close to you because we're going to stick with the scripture today. And if we had put these notes on slides, there would have been about 20 slides up there. And that's just too many. And I wanted to dig a little bit deeper today into the scripture. So I wanted you to have some more uh, word in front of you. We're going to begin with some passages or a passage. Uh, we'll move to several passages in the Bible today, but we're going to begin with a passage today that is going to sound just a little bit strong, just a little bit weird, because Paul here is giving to the church at Ephesus, he is giving instructions to slaves on how to treat their master. And uh, you say, whoa, time out. So the Bible... God, I mean, is for slavery? Are you kidding me? Absolutely not. The idea that God is for slavery or that Christianity is for slavery or the Bible is for slavery, uh, that idea is shown clearly in the Scriptures to be false. As a matter of fact, in the book of Exodus 21 and verse 16, it says anybody who is caught selling another person into slavery is executed. So I want to just, just lay down uh, what this means. I want you to get the background for this before we read it. I want you to understand kind of where we're coming from on this so there won't be any confusion. However, in the Bible, there was voluntary slavery. Voluntary slavery. And it was widely practiced during biblical times. The Bible provides, because of this system, the Bible steps up and provides instructions for slaves. And I know some of y'all are going to go amen to what I'm about to say, which actually at that time was more what we would call employees. Some of y'all are out there going amen, amen. I feel like a slave where I work. Um, and then it, it talks about the business owners who hire um, uh, in the terms of master. So don't be offended by that. So if you, if you read the scripture uh, and, you, and you replace slavery with employee and you replace master with employer, that's going to be more accurate and more understandable you, to you as we talk about this passage in our culture today. Now, Paul uh, also gives us clarity about this whole idea that slavery is supported by God or the Bible or Christianity. Paul's the author of many books in the New Testament, many of the writings there, and he ordered Philemon. There's a tiny little book in your Bible called Philemon, and Paul wrote a letter to Philemon, and he told him to release his slaves from service. He told them, do, he told Philemon, do what is proper. So we see all through the Bible that uh, God in no way, in no way supports slavery. And we know about slavery. We know about the Civil War. We know all about that. Um, we know about how 
big a sin that was and a sin on our nation. And many, many people uh, through the years have repented for that sin. And God has blessed our nation because we repented of that. And, of course, we don't do that. If it is done today, it is absolutely illegal. And it is dealt with uh, that way. So let's look at, as we talk about an engaged owner. Now, you know here at the bridge, we don't call members members and I know you, you say, if you say this one more time, I think I'm going to scream, Pastor. Well, get ready to scream because I'm about to say it. We don't call members members because members have rights. We call our members owners because they have responsibility. And what we want to do today, y'all didn't scream, thank you. And what we want to do today is we want to look at what is an engaged owner. What does it look like for a person in the church to be engaged in the church, in the life of the church? And we're going to talk about that today and over the next two Sundays. And then this series will end, and I'll do a new series entitled Judge Not. How many of y'all hear that these days? You know, somebody goes, man, I'm really concerned about so-and-so. And then what do people say? Yeah, I love the way, who just said that? I love the way you just said that, because that's how, judge not. They always put it in that high voice, you know, judge not, which actually what they're doing is judging what you just said. But anyway, um, so we're not going to, we're not, we're going to look at what the Bible means when it says judge not, and that's the series that's going to happen right after this series is over at the end of June. So let's go to Ephesians. You got it right there in front of you, or you can look in your Bible, or you can look on your phone and pretend you're looking at the Bible, whatever you want to do. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Everybody say this with me. I am ready to learn from God's Word. Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, servants or slaves. This is from the Amplified Bible. If you don't have an Amplified Bible in your library, make that a goal to get that in your library. But let me tell you where you can get it free. BibleGateway.com. Who uses Bible Gateway? Who uses version? Isn't that good? Good stuff, man. And so all these versions are online absolutely free. And uh, he says in the Amplified Bible, servants or slaves, be obedient to those who are your physical masters. Now remember the interchangeable words of employee, employer. Be obedient to those who are your physical masters people who are in authority over you in the org chart, having respect for them and eager, uh, and, and eager concern and an eager concern to please them in singleness of motive with what? That was kind of weak, so we're going to ask you again because I want you to get this. With all your heart as as service, as service to who? Not that employer, not that master, not that person who's over you in the org chart, but whatever job you have, whatever occupation you have, whatever service you do in the local church, whatever you do as an owner of the bridge, even if you're not an owner. And by the way, I think we had over 30 people become owners this past Wednesday night. Isn't that awesome? New owners coming in, fresh meat as I refer to them. But anyway, you might not be ready to stand up here on the stage, but you've named bri the bridge as your church. So what does it look like for you to be an uh, uh, encouragement, a blessing engaged in the life of this church? What does that look like? Think about that as we read this. Your service to your employer outside this church your service in this church, your service in your small group, your service in any club or organization that you are a part of, do what you do as unto the Lord. Do what you do as unto the Lord. You say, well, they don't deserve that I do what I do as unto the Lord. It's not about deserve, and you ought to be really thankful for that because God didn't give us what we deserve. Thank God, thank God, amen. Because uh, some of y'all would be like a little pile of ashes. You know what I'm saying? All right. Verse 6. 
When you serve, not, don't do it in the way of eye service. In other words, what he's saying there is do privately, do it with the same quality privately as you would do if your boss was watching. Do whatever you do privately when nobody's looking do it as if everybody was looking. He says, not in the way of eye service, as if they were watching you, and, and, and in, in that way you would be only pleasing who? Men. Oh, and only to please men, but as what? Servants, slaves of who? Christ. Do what you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, you know, look at Pastor Farrell and go, man, he's the most imperfect pastor I've ever seen. So I'm not going to work as hard. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to serve as faithfully. I'm not going to show up on time. I'm not going because you know Pastor Farrell doesn't deserve that. He doesn't deserve that. Don't do it as unto me. When you stand before the Lord on the last day and He judges you for what you did, He will not judge you in the sense that you could say before Him, "I didn't do what I was supposed to do." Because I mean, Pastor Farrell doesn't deserve that. He's going to say, but I ask you to do it for me. I ask you to do that as unto me. Does this make sense? He says, but as servants, slaves of Christ, doing the will of God, how? Heartily, heartily. Now, you got those notes in front of you. And so I know you're following along. And when I get to a word and go, what? And all of you, like six people, say the word. It just makes me preach longer. So we're going to do that one again. So he says in verse 6, doing the will of God and with your whole soul. Look at verse 7. Rendering service how? With what? As to the and not to Pastor Farrell. Amen, amen. Have you, ever, have you ever been a part of a church? Maybe you've been a part of this church and you've looked at the leadership and you've seen our imperfections and you've seen us drop the ball and you've seen us not call when we said we would call and you've seen our imperfections and all of that and gone, well, if they're not going to try, I'm not going to try. God is saying to me, as I look at those who are over me denominationally, as I look at those who are over me in the org chart in other areas of my life, and I slack off because they don't deserve it, God says, Pharaoh Hardison, don't do that. Serve with your whole heart. Serve heartily. Do good will, not as to men, but as to the Lord, wow, it's so clear. And then in verse 8, he says, because if you do, because if you do that, guess who's going to get blessed? You're going to get blessed. Verse 8, look at it on your notes there. Knowing that for whatever good anyone does, he will receive his reward. I want a reward. Now, I've talked to some of y'all, and some of y'all are real spiritual, and you've told me that you really don't care about the reward. Will you please, in your prayer time, tell God Pharaoh will take it? <laughs> I'm counting on a reward. I want my reward. Come on. I know it's hard to say amen to that because y'all are so humble, but I want my reward. And God says I'm going to get it. He says, Pharaoh, if you will serve, if you will serve heartily, readily, with goodwill, uh, not as to men, but as to the Lord, you're going to receive a reward from the Lord. And how many of you know God gives rewards like nobody else can? A guy who's, whether he's a slave or whether he's free. In other words, if you're here on the org chart, the organizational chart, or if you're up here on the organizational chart, serve, serve. Have a servant heart. Have, a, have the heart of a slave, the heart of a servant, and serve those in authority, not like they're who they are, because they're very imperfect. They're going to frustrate you. They're going to let you down. They're going to disappoint you. But God says, serve them as if you are serving me. There are many, many verses from the New Testament, as I told you, showing that God 
values slaves. He values employees as much as any free person or any employer. God is not partial to anyone standing uh, before him. He's not partial to anybody. Every, God sees everybody with the exact same value. You, you are as precious to God as Billy Graham is. You are as precious to God as Chuck Swindoll is. You are as precious to God as Jack Hayford. You are as precious to God as the great preachers of our day and the great teachers of our day. You are just as precious to him. So, so how does Ephesians 6, 5 through 8, how does this passage deal with the sermon series on Own It? Church ownership. Look at these phrases again. Singleness of motive. That means you understand the vision. We understand why we're doing what we're doing as a church and everybody gets on board. And if you see somebody next to you or under you or over you doing something to let everybody down, that doesn't give you a license to let everybody down. That's what he's saying here. You're still motivated. You're still doing God's will. You do it with all your heart as to Christ, not in the way of eye service as if you're being watched, but do it whether you're being watched or not being watched. Do it heartily. Do it with your whole soul readily. Do it with goodwill. Do it as to the Lord and not as to men. Now, if we look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, maybe you're asking, Pastor Farrell, would you please clarify for me, because I've had people ask me this. Would you please clarify for me, I mean, can you put it in a nutshell, when a person names the name of the bridge and says, this is my church. What do you as a pastor, what do you guys as a staff, what do you hope that person will do? What do you expect of them? So I wrote down five things, and I'm not going to, they're not in your notes, they're not up on the screen, and I'm going to give you these. And I'll tell you what I'll do next week in the notes I'm going to give you again next week, I'm going to put these five things in there so you can just listen or you can try to jot them down. Number one, we hope you will live a godly lifestyle in your home and in the community. Now, when you get here at church, you can live like you want to. But in your home, no, I'm kidding. You know, everybody puts on the mask at church, amen? Can we just say that? You know, we cuss all the way here and then get out of the car, and we look at somebody and go, praise the Lord, good morning. God is good, yes, God is good. High five for Jesus, yes. You know? So, so uh, maybe cuss was a strong word. How about fuss? Is that better? Is that better? Uh, cuss is better for some of y'all, though. But anyway, um, we want you to live a godly lifestyle. Can I just name four places we want you to live a godly lifestyle? Here at church, in your home, in your community, and in your car. Since I mentioned the car, all right? All right, so we want you to live godly. Because, you know, people are looking at you, and a lot of people know you go to the bridge. But that isn't the main thing. The reputation of this church isn't the main thing. It's the reputation of God. You know, in Psalm 23, that's a very famous psalm, isn't it? The 23rd Psalm. It says what you should do, and then it says, do it for his name's sake. For his name's sake. You see, people view God and get their opinion of God by how we act. By how we act. So he tells us to live righteously for his name's sake. The second thing that we hope you'll do is that you will exercise your spiritual gifts in service to the Lord through this church. All of you have gifts. All of you have gifts. I told you that last Sunday. Some of you looked at your husband with uh, amazement, but I'm telling you, he's got a gift. I promise you, he does. And we want you to discover that gift. We have a class for that. It's called 201, or, or really it's called D2. 201's the old name. D2 is a class you need to take so you can discover what you're good at and we can get you plugged into ministry. Because one day, I mean, we're not trying to get you plugged into ministry. Somebody wrote me a letter last week and, and told me they were just kind of tired of hearing about me talk about volunteers, volunteers, volunteers. Here's the deal about that, guys. You're going to stand before the Lord one day and he's going to go, what'd you do with your talent? He's going to say, I gave you a gift, I gave you a talent, so, so I'm just saying to you, we want to give you opportunities, and look, you don't have to use those opportunities here. You can use those opportunities at the soup kitchen. 
You can use, you can use your, I mean, you can use your gifts at the soup kitchen. You can use them at the Wayne uh, uh, Crisis Pregnancy Center. You can use them at the uh, Crisis Community Center on Soakham Street. You can use them at the Fordham House. You, we're just saying to you, you, you don't even have to serve in this church. We hope you will because one of the things I love about our church is we do get outside these walls and get out there on the street. Pastor Jimmy sees to it, doesn't he? Amen? Can I tell you all a funny story? And I shouldn't do this because I'm way off track, but it was so funny. Uh, Pastor Jimmy is in Oklahoma, and he called somebody on the phone, and they answered the phone, and they were here in North Carolina, and he said, do you want liquid detergent or powder? <laughs> and they saw that it was Pastor Jimmy, and they said, I don't know. Let me take a whiff of my clothes, and I'll call you back and let you know which one I need. And Pastor Jimmy was just totally confused. Pastor Jimmy was actually calling somebody there in Oklahoma. He was trying to get that, trying to get that soap. I just thought that was hilarious, and I love the way that guy reacted. He said, I don't know. Let me go take a whiff of my old, dirty clothes, and I'll call you back. You know. So, so Pastor Jimmy, you know, he gets us on the street, don't he? Can we give it up for Pastor Jimmy Bryant? I'm telling you guys, uh, he's amazing. He's amazing. Now, I'm not worried about him in Oklahoma, but I'm worried about Pastor Andy. He won't last about a day and a half. And they'll just have to pick him up and go lay him on a shelf somewhere. Pastor Jimmy can get it done. He gets us out there. So we, we want you to volunteer here because if you'll volunteer here, we'll get you in all these places I just mentioned. But sometimes, you know, people feel like, as a church, when you say that, that they're saying, well, I, you know, I don't have to serve through you. I don't have to serve through your church. Sure, absolutely. We just want you to know that you're going to stand before the Lord one day, and he's going to ask you what you did. He's going to ask you what you did after you got saved. After you gave your heart to Jesus, he's going to ask you what you did. So we want you to serve uh, in your gifts, all right? We want you to contribute financially. And we hope what you'll do is pay a tithe. We hope you'll give 10% of your income. Now, some of you want to argue with me about that and come up and go, I don't believe in that whole 10% thing. I believe in what Jesus taught. Awesome. Awesome. Let's go with that because Jesus said give everything. So we'll go with the Jesus. I'm good. I'm good with that. If y'all don't want to do the 10%, Jesus said give everything. And so, hey, we don't even have to have a meeting. Just go with that, okay? But we want you to contribute financially. Uh, the fourth uh, thing we want you to do is we want you, and this is so important right here and so hard. It really is. This is very important and very, very difficult. And this is where most churches break down right here. <clears throat> we have to be willing to receive correction. We have to be willing to be held accountable in meekness and love. And listen, you also are responsible to hold others accountable. But you do it how? In love and meekness. Everybody write this on your notes, right over to the right in the margin. We're not going to look it up right now. But when you get home, look up Galatians 6 and 1. Galatians 6 and 1 says, when you see a brother, that's another Christian, overtaken in a fault, you go to him in the spirit of Love and meekness because, and then it goes on in that verse to say, considering yourself lest you also get tempted. I don't know about y'all. I've had to hold people accountable, and I don't enjoy that. And I've been held accountable, and I, and I enjoy that even less. But a church that cannot love each other enough to hold each other accountable for you to reach out there and get me when I'm drifting and I reach out there and get you when you're drifting. If we can't do that, if we say, who do you think you are to tell me? Who do you think you are to call me out? And who do you think you are? Even though you're doing it sweet, even though you're doing it nice, I am not going to hear any kind of correction in my life. Then let me tell you what you're doing. You're setting yourself up to fall into a pit you can't get out of. We've got to be able to hold one another accountable. Got a letter about the sermon series on uh, circles, not rows, that it didn't mean anything to that person. They didn't get anything out of that series. That's what that series was all about. It was all about us being in a small group 
and holding one other, one another accountable. Do y'all hear me? If all we do is gather like this in a big crowd and we don't have relationships in our life where we hold each other accountable and love each other and get each other through the tough times, we are going to be a sick church. And we're going to be a weak church. And we're going to be a church where people come and go and live any way they want to without anybody going, hey, bro, I love you, and you're killing yourself. You're killing your family. You're killing your spiritual life. If we can't do that to each other, then we're like every other church everywhere else. But I believe the bridge is different. Now, I know it's not hard for me to receive correction. It's not, it's not hard for me to give correction. But I'm going to tell you something. If we can't do that without blowing up and getting mad, we're on a road downhill. Do you all hear me? So one of the things we do as owners of the vision, owners of the mission, owners of the core values of this church is we lovingly hold one another accountable. So is there somebody you're concerned about and you need to call them today? Is there somebody you haven't seen in church in a while and you're concerned that you need to send an email to and say, hey man, I haven't seen you. I, I love you. Because here's what we do. We talk to everybody else about that person we're concerned about except them. And when we talk to everybody else about the person we're concerned about who's drifting, here's what we say to each other. I would go to him, but it's none of my business. Then why are you talking to these other people about it? Did I say that out loud? If it's none of your business, you ought not to be talking to anybody about it. But it is your business. If I'm falling spiritually, it's your business because we're in the same family. If I've got a brother, I've got two brothers. If I see my two brothers moving away from their family, moving away from their love for God, I've got to say something to them. And it's harder with family than anybody else. Who do you think you are? The fifth thing we want you to do is come to church. All of y'all who are here, awesome. All of you who are sort of here online, thank you for being with us online. All of you who are going to look at this video later, you're, you're getting out there, but God bless you for watching it. <laughs> and all of you that can't remember who we are, come home. Amen? So as we think about this whole term, so those are the five things. I'll have them in your notes next week. As we think about this term owner, what person in the Bible comes to mind who you would want to look at that character in the Bible and say, that's an example of a great owner at the bridge? I thought of a couple of people. I thought about Paul. How many of you know Paul, the Apostle Paul would be a great owner here at the bridge, wouldn't he? However... I would sure hate to have a church full of Apostle Pauls because you talk about being intimidated when I stand up here to preach. Whew. And then I thought about Simon Peter, and I thought about, can you imagine what that guy would be like at a church business meeting? I mean, I know God loves Simon Peter, and I believe he made Simon Peter for a purpose, but I got to tell you, he only made one Simon Peter because that's the only thing we could stand with, just one. So Simon Peter... I don't want a church full of him either. But then I found a Bible character that's rarely talked about in the Bible. And today and the next two Sundays, I want to talk a little bit about this man. And I want you to look at his life with me because I think the best way for me to get you to understand what I believe God's calling me to be as an owner of the bridge, I'm an owner here too, and what God's calling you to be as an owner of the bridge. And again, you might not have stood up here and formally become an owner, but you name this church, you name the name of this church, and you say the bridge is my church. The same thing goes for you. Um, I, I just believe as we look at the life of this man, we're going to see the characteristics uh, that will make us understand today, in this current day, what a, what a healthy, engaged owner looks like at the bridge. Let's look in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 36 to 37. You've got this in your notes there. Let's just look at this passage. Joseph, Joseph. Now, there's a bunch of Josephs in the Bible. And so those of you who don't know very much about the Bible, you have to understand there's not just one Joseph. There are, there are several Josephs in the Bible. Here's one of them. 
Joseph, but he was called, he wasn't called Joseph. Uh, he was called by the apostles who? Barnabas, which means what? Son of comfort. He was a Levite born in Cyprus. Here's what he did for his church. This was the baby church now, the early church. I mean, the day of Pentecost was just a little bit earlier, and, and this church, you remember, 3,000 people got saved in one day, so this, this little church became a mega church in one day, and Barnabas rose to the top as one of the most influential people in that local church. And I want you to look what he did for his, his church. Now, this is going to make some of you nervous because you think that's what I'm about to ask you to do. He sold a field that he owned and brought the money and made an offering of it to the church staff, to the leaders of the church, to the, everybody say it, apostles, okay? So, oh my goodness, pastor's going to talk about me selling my property and giving it to the church. I just, I'm not going to talk about that actually. I just want you to look at his spirit. I just want you to look at his attitude. I believe this Barnabas is our best example of the kind of bridge owner we desire and more importantly, what God desires, the kind of owner he wants you to be. Now, his name was Joseph, but they gave him a nickname. And the nickname they gave him was Barnabas, which is interpreted consolation. Now, here's something interesting. The word consolation in the Bible, the Greek word is parakletos. Y'all have heard of that before? It is the word we get parakeet from. That is not true. That's not true. But I thought it was funny, and a few of y'all did too. So the word consolation is the Greek word parakletos. Listen to this. Listen to this. This is the same name given to the Holy Spirit. If I'd have been Barnabas, I would have went, don't ever call me that again. But this man was, this man exuded this quality of the Holy Spirit to others so much that they gave him the same name. The Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. The Comforter. It literally means, this parakletos, listen to this, literally means encouragement. Encouragement. So what was so great about Barnabas? Here it is, here it is, here it is. He was an encourager. He was an encourager. Here's what the early church was saying to him. Get this now. The early church was saying to him, you, sir, you, Joseph, will be called Barnabas because you are the greatest encourager we've ever seen. You are going to be called the son of comfort, the son of consolation. Think about owners now here at the bridge. Think about owners. You are the son of consolation. I mean, Barnabas, we have noticed that you just go around lifting everybody's spirit. You just go around lifting the spirits of everybody around you. Barnabas, we have noticed that when you leave a room, everybody in it, feels encouraged. And when I read that and studied that, I thought, man, you know what? First, that's the kind of owner I want to be. That's the kind of owner Pharaoh Hardison's got to be. I mean, I can stand up here all day long and tell you guys you need to be the kind of bar uh, owner Barnabas is. Hey, I've got to be this kind of owner. This brought conviction in my life. Because you know why, church? If there is anything I need in June of 2013, think about, think about society right now. Think about what's going on in America right now. Think about what's going on around the world right now. Think about it. If there's anything I need, if there's anything you need, if there's anything this church needs, if there's anything the community around us needs, if there's anything the world needs, it's encouragement. Think about it. Think about it. The world around you, your family, your neighbors, there is no greater need today than encouragement. There is an epidemic 
of discouragement. I see it all the time. I read it on Facebook. I, I get emails. People are discouraged. They're getting beat up. I'm not here with bad news. Yes, I run into encouraged people. Yes, I run into people that are on fire. Yes, I run into people that are motivated. Yes, I run into people who, who are, who've got it going on. But I tell you, I've run into far more today who are discouraged. Am I preaching the truth? Now, let me, let me say this. If the person beside you on the row of chairs where you're sitting right now, if they can't count on the church for encouragement, where are they going to find it? If the community around the bridge cannot find encouragement from the bridge, if they can't find it, let's go beyond that. If they can't find it from the churches of our community. If people in the world today who do not know Christ, who are so discouraged, if they can't walk into our churches, if they can't encounter us on the streets and be encouraged by the people of God, I have a question for you. Where are they going to find encouragement? We're the ones who know God. We're the ones who have a relationship with God. Where are they going to get encouragement if they don't get it from the church? Parakletos is the same Greek word the Apostle Paul used in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. You have this in your notes to describe God. He didn't only use the word parakletos to describe God, but he used it to challenge all of us. Man, this is one of the most beautiful passages Passages of Scripture in the Bible, and I want you to just stay with me as we walk through this. You got it right there in your notes. Can everybody see? Can y'all see your notes? How many of y'all wish the font was a little bigger? Amen. All right. How many of y'all wish it was a little brighter in here? Anybody want it brighter? Everybody good? All right. Three people want it brighter, so sorry, those three people. All right. <laughs> Look at this. Thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that He is our Father. And He is the source of all, everybody say it, mercy and comfort. Look at the next sentence. For He gives us what? In our, so that we may in turn be able to what? Give the same sort of strong sympathy to in their trials. I'm going to say something real spiritual right here. Booyah. <laughs> Boom. That is what the owners of the bridge do. We enjoy the presence of God in our life. We enjoy the comfort of God in our life. We enjoy the power of the Holy Spirit of God in our life. And then we give it to others in their trials. God is calling me, God is calling you, God is calling this church to be a Barnabas. Be an encouragement. Look at the next sentence. Indeed, experience shows that the more we share, and I'll put the word in there so it'll, so it'll make a little bit more sense to you. Indeed, experience shows that that the more we share in Christ's sufferings, in other words, the more we suffer, the more we suffer what Christ suffered, and the more we suffer what Christ suffered because, for the same reason he suffered. He's talking about some persecution right there. The more we are able to give, isn't that amazing right there? The more trials you've fought through. Didn't the choir sing about that last Sunday? The mountains, or the other Sunday, uh, I don't know, was it last Sunday Miss Millie sang or the Sunday before? Sunday before, two weeks ago. Talked about the mountains and get, God just get me over that mountain. Thank you for the mountains you've brought me through. Y'all remember that? Remember when the choir sung that? If y'all don't say yeah, I'm going to sing it. Okay, all right, all right. So, <laughs> I have to threaten y'all sometimes, get a response. So, God says here through Paul that experience 
Indeed, look at your notes there. Indeed, experience shows that the more we share in suffering, you know why some people can't be compassionate? Because everything they've ever had has been given to them on a silver platter. They haven't had to fight for anything. They haven't had the struggles other people have struggled through. Everything's been paid for them. Everything's been made easy for them. The most, the most, and is uncompassionate a word? I don't even know if that's a word. Uh, Google that sometime. But the person with the least compassion are people that have never, they they just don't struggle. I mean, everything they touch turns to gold. And uh, you know what I'm saying? The people who are most helpful to the people around them are not just people who have suffered because suffering makes some people bitter. But the people who allow suffering to make them better, nobody can encourage other people like they can. That's what this is saying. That's what Paul is saying. Look at the next sentence. This means, this means, this means. I love when Paul says this means. Because he is explaining it to somebody who don't always get it. This means that if we experience trouble, we can pass on to you comfort and spiritual help. For if we ourselves have been comforted, then we know how to encourage you to endure patiently the same sort of troubles that we ourselves have endured. Man. Guys, don't throw these notes away. Don't throw these notes away. As a matter of fact, if God will help me, if God will help me, from now on, I'm going to give you my sermon notes. From now on. Are y'all cool with that? From now on, I'm going to give you my sermon notes. If you don't like them, take them home and make airplanes out of them. Fly them all over the house. But I want you to get this. I want you to look at that sentence right there, and I know what time it is, and I'm about to quit preaching, but I want you to look. This means that if we experience troubles, because some of y'all have been through, i, I got to tell you, I, I talk to some of you guys, and I can't believe how much some of you go through. And, and I go through stuff, and we've all been through stuff. But some of you guys have layers of stuff. Listen to me. Listen to me. Don't let it make you bitter. Don't get mad at God. I'm telling you, he is going to use your suffering to make you like Jesus to make you able to help other people, to make you able to put your arm around people and say, I don't know why I've gone through what I've gone through and I don't know why you are going through what you're going through, but I want to tell you something, man, God's never, ever left me. He's never, and you're going to be able to encourage them. That's what it says right here. Look at the last sentence, at the last sentence. We are quite confident that if you have to suffer troubles, as Paul says, as we have done, because Paul did some suffering. Matter of fact, they stoned Paul to death one time and thought he was dead, or they stoned him one time and thought they had stoned him to death, thought they had killed him, and so they drug his body out of the city and threw him up on a trash heap because they thought they killed him. And Paul came to, you know what he did? Shook his head and went back into the same city and stood right there and preached again. So Paul knew what it was to suffer. How many of y'all know before Paul was Paul, he was who? Saul. And did, what did he do then? He persecuted people because he didn't know who Jesus was. He was confused about who Jesus was. So he had been a persecutor and he had been persecuted. He says, we are quite confident that if you have to suffer, suffer troubles as we have done, then Paul says, like us, you will find comfort and encouragement from where? From God. The word used to describe God is literally the same word used to describe Barnabas. Our God is the God of consolation. Our God is the God of encouragement. I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to me. If you are discouraged this morning, God didn't do it to you. If you are discouraged this morning, it is not God who discouraged you. You brought it on yourself or somebody else brought it on you. Or that old enemy of ours, Satan, discouraged you because here's what the enemy knows. Here's what he knows. He knows that if he can get you discouraged, he will set you up for failure. 
If you're sitting here today and you're discouraged and you're, you've, you've kind of gone to the next stage where you're kind of blaming everybody around you, you're blaming the church and blaming the staff and blaming your family and you're blaming, blaming people all, all around you. That's a bad stage to be in. I'm telling you, that's a bad place to be in in your life because what will happen is Satan is setting you up for failure and you're getting a little bit of relief out of blaming everybody else for what you're doing. And so he's watching you and he's going to use that. He's going to use that discouragement to set you up for total, absolute failure in your life. Listen to me. Listen, Pastor Farrell. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. That's a word to somebody here today. Don't fall for it. He is trying to get you at a place where he can bring failure, total failure into your life. Dr. Adrian Rogers is a great, great preacher. He's in heaven now, but here's what he said. He said, listen to this, discouragement is the dark room where the negatives of failure are developed. You, uh, you people who know anything about photography, you get that. Discouragement is the dark room where the negatives of failure are developed. Why would the enemy try so hard to discourage us? Why would he try so hard to discourage us? Here's why, here's why, listen. Because if you are encouraged in the Lord, you feel like you can do anything. And when you are discouraged, you don't feel like you can do anything. I love professional football, NFL. Anybody with me out there? Man, y'all know next month, baby, it kicks in with preseason games. I don't watch any of them, but I just like knowing they're being played. Amen? I just love the NFL. So... There's an old player from yesteryear. His name's Bobby Lane. Bobby Lane, L-A-Y-N-E. And he's got, a, he's got a, a helmet in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And on that helmet is written, Bobby Lane never lost a football game. Time just ran out. And the whole idea there is that he was a man who simply believed if I had a little more time, I would overcome if I had a little more time, I would be victorious. This was a man who kept the fires of encouragement burning in himself and in his teammates. That's what we need here at the bridge with our owners. See, if you're an owner, you're on the team. If you've named the name of the bridge and you've said, that's where I go to church, you're on the team. So what we've got to do is we ought to keep that fire in our belly to do the work of God in these last days and keep one another encouraged. Encouraged. Let me give you one last thing in closing. And I know there's a blank on there. There's a blank at the bottom, sort of middle way. And I'm going to give you the words for that blank because I know there are some of you here who will be messed up the rest of the week if you don't fill that blank in. So I'm going to give it to you. Don't, uh, some of y'all are getting scared. I know you are. But I'm going to give you that blank, but we're not going to preach on it because I'd preach too long. So let me give you this little part right here. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Comfort the feeble-minded. Now, some of you women feel like that's God's call for you to minister to your husband. <laughs> Comfort the feeble-minded. Now, when you read that, here's why, here's why, guys, people, a lot of people say, oh, King James only, King James only. Well, when you read that in the King James only, um, you think that it's talking about somebody who's mentally challenged or somebody who has a mental illness or somebody who's senile or weak-minded. But when you study that word, feeble-minded, it doesn't mean any of those things. You know what that means? That word feeble-minded in the original language means those who are discouraged. Do your own study. Comfort the feeble-minded. Comfort those who are discouraged. Who do you know who's discouraged? Who do you know that needs a card? Who do you know that needs a phone call? Who do you know that you could sit down today and write them an email and tell them how valuable and precious they are to you and it would lift their day? Let's be Barnabases. Let's be encouragers. If we'll do that, we'll be awesome owners in this church. Paul was saying to us here today at the bridge in this local church that we're to encourage the discouraged. If there's anything that we need, it is more Christians, more owners who know how to encourage hurting people. So in my final remarks, 
let me say that this was precisely the ministry of Barnabas. He was an encourager. I want you to ask yourself right now. Matter of fact, if you're taking notes and you're using that sheet, write down at the bottom, am I an encourager? Be honest with yourself. Who have I? And then if you say, yes, yes, I am an encourager, encourager, then underneath that, I want you to write down about 10 ways you've encouraged people in the last week. And if you can't think of them, if you can't think of ways you've encouraged people, um, then you might think you're an encourager when you're really not an encourager. Be an encourager. It's not about you. It was a good little video today, wasn't it? The me church. Let's don't be a me church. You say, well, what about me, pastor? What about me? I got some needs. If you'll let God get his blessings through you, he'll get blessings to you. When you make it about others, your needs get met. When you make it about yourself, your needs don't get met. When you make it about others, he pours into your life. When you don't make it about others, then you're on your own. The man asked Jesus that day, what are the, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, everything that's in you. Love the Lord. And the second commandment is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Barnabas owned the vision of this baby church. He owned the core values of this baby church. He owned the mission of this baby church. So he served this baby church as an encourager. He served it in that local expression of the body of Christ. That's what the bridge is, a local expression of the body of Christ. Now, I'm going to give you five characteristics. You say, Pastor, you only got two Sundays. I don't believe you can do it. Yes, I can. I'm going to give you five characteristics of Barnabas that you need in your life and that I need in my life. Now, here's the first one. I'm not going to preach on it. I'm not going to preach on it. We're going to close right here. Barnabas teaches us that an encourager, and the reason I put a long line there is because it's several words, lifts the burdens of others. He lifts the burdens of others. He's a load lifter. Barnabas was a load lifter. He lifted the burdens of others. Will you stand to your feet this morning?